recruits and they always will be, there will always be the need for ministry. And we who are involved in ministry, and all of us are to some degree or another, we who are involved in ministry, we will burn ourselves out unless we follow Jesus' model for doing ministry. Jesus knew when to engage, and he knew when to disengage. He engaged in ministry to the poor, touching the blind, healing the lame, comforting the grieving, curing the sick, delivering the oppressed. But he also disengaged from the busyness of ministry to recharge himself through rest, through solitude, and through prayer. Now here in our text, Luke tells us that he took his disciples and withdrew apart to the seaside town of Bethsaida. Now that means that he insisted, I don't think he took them by force, but he insisted that they come away with him. Because you see, there were crowds all around him pressing him. There were demands that were being placed on them. He knew that they all needed to rest and relax, to enjoy some solitude, to re-energize themselves for future ministry. Now somebody said once, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. Can I say that again? If you don't come apart, you will come apart. There is this timeless principle that God established way back in the book of Genesis. He modeled it first and then he commanded his uh, people to observe it. It is the principle of Sabbath. Some people call it rest. The Sabbath rest. Some people call it as well. And so after creating the heavens and the earth in six days, what did God do on the seventh? Those of you who are Bible scholars. He rested. Again, he rested. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 12, God speaking to Moses to command his people, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And so God was establishing the principle of margins. Some people call it boundaries. And with crowds and the demands that they place on our time and our energies, we need margins in our lives. God observed margins by resting. Jesus observed margins by coming away often to rest. And if they did so, if God did it, and if Jesus did it, who are we to think that we don't need to do it? That we don't need margins, that we don't need to come away from the crowds and from the pressures of the marketplace to rest and to be refreshed by God himself. In our era, the busier we are, the more accomplished we feel. And so we boast about our schedules, how packed they are, how busy we are, but we never boast about taking time off to rest. Quite the contrary, we feel guilty when we take time off to rest. Now, one prominent actress said this, and I quote, I work hard and I play hard, but very seldom do I rest hard. Now, I don't know about you, but the busier I am, the more tired I get. Does that sound right to you? 
the more busy I am, the more tired I get. And the more tired I get, the less I invest in important relationships around me. And the less time I invest in my important relationships, the more hungry I get for emotional fulfillment. Just follow my track of reasoning here. And the more hungry I get for emotional fulfillment, the more undisciplined I become. And the more undisciplined I become, the less spirit-controlled I become. And the less spirit-controlled I become, the more I am controlled by the flesh. And the more controlled I become by the flesh, the more susceptible I am to temptation. And the more susceptible I am to temptation, the easier I fall into the devil's snare. And before I know it, my marriage is in trouble, my ministry is in trouble, and that is true of all of us, not just me, but of all of us. Jesus took his disciples and withdrew to a quiet place to recharge, to rest, to refresh himself, and to recalibrate. I came across this little devotional as I was preparing this message. It reads this way. We tend to live urgently. Deadlines, high priority messages, and target dates have many of us working at an unsustainable pace. When we finally catch our breath, we wonder how we'll survive the next big push. Often, we try to do two things at once or more. We bring our phones to the dinner table. We reply to emails during soccer games. Even when we've finally unplugged, date night is ruined by the overflow of office stress. What is the return on our investment? Divided attention, disappointment, and sometimes even divorce. Our closest relationships suffer the most when work and life are not properly aligned. So why do we live this way, the writer asks. Because money is enticing. Because it offers potential. If we have more, we could do more. More money means a better house or better car. To us, better stuff means a better life. End of quote. Is that true of you? Is that true of you this morning? Not so, Jesus says. Develop a healthy balance between engagement and disengagement, between work and rest. And I'm sure that that applies to every single one of us here this morning, that there needs to be a healthy balance between the time that we invest in work and the time that we invest in rest. Here is our second point this morning, that Jesus would rather that we welcome people than send them away. They followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. And the twelve came and said, send the crowd away into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Now just because you and I create margins in our life, doesn't mean that other people won't encroach on our margins. You realize that? Just because we set up boundaries doesn't mean that other people won't, set, won't try to push them down. 
That is exactly what we see happening in our text today. Jesus and his disciples sought to create some margin in their lives to get some rest. But the crowds encroach on their space. And it almost seems as if Jesus is violating the very principle that he set, the principle of coming away to just disengage. Because rather than completely retreating from ministry, we find him getting up and welcoming the people who were coming to him. These people needed his time and they needed his attention. And so he taught them about God's kingdom. He healed those who were sick. He responded to them in love but not so with his disciples. What we find disciples doing is that to them, the important thing, which is serving people, took a second place to the convenient thing, which is serving self. I want you to follow me. Follow me this morning that the important thing, which was to serve people, took a second place to the convenient thing, which was serving self. And so they chose the convenient thing over the important thing. They chose to send the crowds away. They wanted them sent away. And I ask us this morning, are we as a church often guilty of choosing the convenient over the important? Can I ask us that again? With everybody paying attention. Are we guilty often of choosing the convenient thing over the important thing? How often have we chosen convenience and comfort over welcoming people? Welcoming the poor, the needy, the hungry, the broken, the homeless, and the different, those who are different from us. How often have we just sent them away because Sending them away was more convenient than welcoming them. Because, you see, welcoming takes effort. Welcoming takes an investment of ourselves. And sometimes we're not willing to do that. But I want us to notice this morning that Jesus would have none of that. I am so glad this morning that we serve a welcoming Jesus. And I believe that all of us should say amen on that because we indeed serve a welcoming Jesus. Had it not been for the fact that Jesus was welcoming, all of us would have been sent away. All of us would have been turned away from him. We serve a Jesus who welcomes everybody. He doesn't desire that we send anybody away. Not the children. Because this is what he says, don't forbid the children to come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So he doesn't send away the children. Not short people, not that I have anything against short people. Because he says, come down from wherever you are, because I must have dinner at your house today. Speaking to Zac Zacchaeus. Not people with any disease that makes them unclean. Because it says, I will be clean. Speaking to the man who had leprosy. He reaches out and he touches people who are diseased. Not people who are weighed down by the burdens and the cares of life. Because he says to them, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, and all of you who labor, and I will give you rest. Does that mean you this morning? Does that speak to you? 
not people who are trapped in an immoral lifestyle. Go call the people you have slept with who are not your spouse, he told this woman who was a serial adulteress. He offers her forgiveness. Not the prodigal son or daughter. He says, put a robe on their back, a ring on their hand, and shoes on their feet, because he had strayed away, but he has returned. He's my son. Not the woman who had led a less than virtuous lifestyle, the woman at the well, says to him, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus is a welcoming Jesus. He doesn't turn anybody away. And so we serve a welcoming Jesus. And I believe that this Jesus wants our church to be a welcoming church as well. Welcoming of all people rather than sending them away because we couldn't be bothered to invest in them. You give them something to eat, Jesus says. You serve them. You minister to their needs. It was Mother Teresa who called this kind of work, quote-unquote, the humble work. This is a quotation straight from her. She says, Let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely, and the unwanted according to the graces we have received. And let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. You give them something to eat, Jesus says. I think that that presents a paradigm shift for our church. It shifts the attention away from our needs. Because sometimes, you see, we have this way of thinking that this church is our church. And it is. It is our church. But I think that sometimes church people can become too us-focused. It's all about us. Our church exists to meet our needs to cater to us. Jesus says, no. You are to cater to those who have not yet already become a part of you. I believe that Jesus would say to us this morning, those of us who feel that this church is our church and it exists only for us, Jesus would say to us, you have been feeding on me long enough. You've been with me long enough. You've been in discipleship long enough. It's time you were able to feed others. Amen. Amen. I believe that if you are in discipleship, if you are in prayer, if you're learning about Jesus, if you have been discipled about Jesus, it gets to a point where you should be able to feed others. You give them something to eat. You walk them through their grief. You love them through their failure. You welcome them for who they are, Jesus says. Let's allow that to fester for some time. And then let's go on to our final point this morning. Jesus wants us to serve people with what we do have rather than dwell on what we think we need to have. I think I need to say that again. Jesus wants us to serve people with what we do have, what we already have in our possession, rather than waste time dwelling on what we think we need to have. And so here are the disciples. Here's the argument. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we had to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. 
I believe that sometimes the problem that we can run into in the church is that we focus more on what we think we need to have than on what we already have. Amen? Sometimes we think we need to have this or that before we can serve people. We think we need better facilities or an abundance of resources or the most innovative equipment. Not that anything is wrong with this at all. I love the fact that I have a brand new mic which Stan was so diligent in purchasing for us. Or sometimes we think we need the most organized programs before we can begin to serve people. But I want to submit to you this morning that if what we have is a love for the Lord, a welcoming smile, hands ready to serve, God will work with what we already have. Amen. If what we have is a love for the Lord, a welcoming smile, and hands that are ready to serve, God will work with that. God can work with what we do have, but not with what we think we need to have. And so the disciples had five loaves and two fish. What they thought they needed was more money to go buy food. See, this was, this was, this was, these were 5,000 men, and that doesn't even include women and children. So this crowd could have been closer to 15,000 if you counted, you know, a wife for each man and at least one child for each couple, at least 15,000. I want to say to us this morning that what we already have is a parking lot, a beautiful parking lot, a freshly paved parking lot. What we already have is a beautiful building. Believe me, this is a beautiful building. Lots of churches would be envious of this building. What we already have is a weekly prayer meeting, a worship team, ministries for all age groups, money to give to missions. We already have a lot. Why think about what we need to have rather than engage what we already have. And so the real question should be, how can we leverage what we already have to reach people? That should be the question. And so as we read scripture, we find that David leveraged his slingshot. Gideon leveraged his 300-man army. The widow leveraged one jar of oil. Another widow leveraged her two mites, all that she had in her possession. Peter leveraged his boat. Mary leveraged her womb. Faith demands that we leverage what we do have rather than what we think we need to have. And I think when we do that, the multiplication will come. Because God will bless what we give to him. He will multiply it and use it to feed thousands. And so taking the five loaves and the two fish Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Jesus will bless whatever you give to him. I see that only one person out of a congregation of almost 50 believe that. Jesus will bless whatever little you give to him. Because it is never about us, it is about what God can do through what we give to him. 
And very often, all we have to give to him is our brokenness. I find in Scripture that Jesus did not necessarily use those people who thought they were gifted, talented, or had a lot. He used people who were broken, people who had just a little, but who were willing to give it to him anyway. And when we give to Jesus whatever little we have, we can watch him bless it and multiply it so that it feeds more people than we thought we could ever do. That's the Jesus that we serve. The bottom line of our message then is Jesus will use whatever you give to him. There were three things that I want to say to you in closing. I want to say to you this morning, give Jesus your heart. I don't want you to take this to mean that, that you only give to Jesus a part of you while you keep back the rest of you for yourself. Because what is a heart if it is not the place where decisions are made? It is the seat of government of our lives. It is where we make decisions. It is what we love with. It is the seat of our emotions. It is where our will resides. So when I say give Jesus your heart, I'm not just asking you to give Jesus your heart for the very first time if you have never done so, but I'm asking you and challenging you to give Jesus the very control of your life. And I'm not asking you just to do it once either. Because it's not a one-time deal with Jesus. It is an over and over and over surrendering your life to Jesus. Can we just pause just for a few seconds? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I'm giving you two challenges in one point. First of all, if there's anybody here this morning or viewing online who has never given their life to Jesus for the very first time, I'm asking you this morning, will you do it today? And then I'm also asking you, you who have given your lives to Jesus, but you have never given him full control of it, because you see, you still want to hold a portion back for yourself. And so I can give him this portion over here, while I maintain 75% of my life, of the control of my life. I want to challenge you this morning in this minute that we have. Will you say to Jesus, Lord, I have been holding back a part of my life from you, but today I want to give you my all. I see your hand if that applies to you. Yes. Yes. Is there anybody else? Yes. Father, this morning, you have called us to full surrender. You've never asked us just to give you a portion of our lives. You've asked us to give you our all. And we confess, Lord, that very often we find this difficult to do. We would hesitate to say, Lord, yes, I am fully surrendered to you because we are afraid of what that means. And yet, Lord, there is so much beauty in surrender. God, all across this congregation, I pray that people today not just those who have raised their hands, but particularly those who have raised their hands, and others would understand in this hour, in this moment, what it is that you're calling them to and that they would surrender to it. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do what only the Holy Spirit can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's a second application point I want you to take away. G give Jesus your hands. 
give Jesus your hand. Your hands represent the active part of you, your service, your skills, your gifts, whatever you're good at and whatever you are good at doing, whatever you do and whatever you're good at doing. And so I want to ask you this morning and challenge you to offer up your hands and everything in them, offer them up to Jesus and ask him to bless them. Now I was at a, I was at a, what do you want to call it, uh, a convention many years ago before I came to the U.S. This was in 1990, so this must have been 20, what, 32 years ago. And I remember, um, I remember going up to an altar for prayer, and one of the ministers who was officiating over that con convention, I remember him asking me to hold my hands out. And I did not know what he meant by that, but I did. And what I, what, what I found him praying, what I heard him praying was that, God, would you, would you bless these hands to bless people? Would you make these hands warm so that, that they might serve people? I believe that God answered that prayer. I, I honestly believe that that prayer has been answered. Give Jesus your hands. Offer them up to him. Ask him to bless your hands and bless the work of your hands for his glory. So whenever you use your hands, in whatever you're doing, serving, helping, blessing, welcoming, healing, that God will gain glory from them. And if there's anybody here this morning who wants to say, Jesus, you got my hands. I will serve you in whatever capacity you're calling me to serve you. Thirdly and finally, I want to challenge you this morning to give Jesus your feet. Your feet... Speak to your going and your coming. And do you know that the Bible says some things about your feet? It does. It says of your feet that they should be dressed in shoes that are ready to take the gospel of peace wherever it is that you go. The Bible also says of our feet that we are to use them to walk in God's way. To walk as he walked, as Jesus walked. To walk uprightly before God, to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. And so if you find your feet going in places that God does not want you to go, you are not honoring God's, God with your feet. I want you to go ahead and ask God this morning to bless your feet. So let's end by retelling our opening story. This is how I think the opening story should be told. God needs our church to do an important job for him. Everybody knows that anybody can do it. So, everybody does it. Nobody gets angry with anybody. Everybody just does, just, just does it. Nobody complains that anybody won't do it. Nobody blames anybody because everybody does what anybody can do. Wouldn't that be nice of our church? <laughs> May God answer this prayer on behalf of our church. Let us pray together. Oh God, your word is such a beautiful thing. Your word can convict hearts. Your word can direct our thinking and our thoughts. Your word can transform us. Your word can guide us. Your word can do in us whatever it is that you want to do. We praise you for the beauty and the truth of your word. 
God, we ask that you would bless your people with these words. Challenge us, Lord, not just to hear this word today, but to go away and to apply it in ways that the Holy Spirit wants us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.